they're all the same. They're all boilerplated off Google. They all use the same context. And, and my eyes glaze over when I read these things because you could take the names off, right? And the resumes look the same. They got the same headings. They, they, they basically look the same in every respect. People don't realize that the resume is, is the first impression. However, it's submitted. Hello, to welcome everyone to another episode of the Let's Get Up podcast. I'm your host Zeke, and in this episode, I have Roy Osing to speak about business and helpful tips for young professionals. You can find his book, Be Different or Be Dead, by clicking the link in the description below. I think of a content warning for any strong language used in this episode and hope you have a nice day and enjoy the show. Okay. So the first question is, what would your origin story be and how would you like to represent it? Well, I guess uh, that my, my story is all about um, um, the challenges that I faced very, very young coming into the business world and, and, and basically finding my way through it to, uh, uh, to working over 33 years with a company, doing many, many, many different things, and um, ending up having a very uh, rewarding career. I, I, was, um, I joined a company as, a, as an analyst with a mathematics degree way back in the day when computers were like batch processing and all that kind of stuff. And that, that was my thing. And I basically um, adhered to a, a game plan I had that, that I ended up running an internet startup business. And, and as, my, as I've written in my seventh book, taking it to a billion dollars in sales. So that was an interesting journey. And when I reflected upon it, it, it was a journey of juxtapositions where rather than doing the common traditional stuff, I tended to want to do more on the other end of the spectrum, the different, the audacious, right? The, the weird, the, the bold, the crazy things that, um, that were shunned upon, quite frankly, uh, because they were different. They weren't normal according to somebody's norms. And that normally involved people who wrote textbooks and, um, and experts and professors at that gave, you know, taught classes, unfortunately, didn't run businesses. And so when I, when I sort of think about my journey, it's all about going from, um, yeah, a math degree to a president, um, going from traditional ways of looking things to sort of a different spin on the world, always having that thing in mind and question in mind, saying, how can I do things differently was something that really guided me and it was very useful. Um, sort of going from textbook approaches to practical real world solutions. Uh, and they're very, very different at times. You know, one's very helpful to a certain degree, but there's no substitute for finding out, you know, what works in a messy real world, because at the end of the day, that's where results are achieved. And I kind of hit on that in my, my career pretty early. Um, I moved from using a standard formula to, to learning on the run in the trenches which is kind of interesting, um, especially when you're a president of a company and you're able to relate to people on the front line in the way that I fortunately was able to do so and, and get them to do things that were out of their comfort zone. It was amazing. And it was all based on, hey, I've been in the messy stuff. I've got dirty. My hands are filthy, all that kind of stuff um, as a leader. And that, that sort of got me a lot of currency. Um, so I've gone from neat and tidy to messy and inelegant. <laughs> I really have. Because, and it was strategic, Zeke. It was strategic because that's where the results were. The results were not in the neat and tidies. They weren't in the textbooks. They weren't in the, in the papers or the, or the case studies. They were in the real world and stuff. So my story is all about that journey from a goalpost that is rooted in tradition in common to the other goalposts. That doesn't have any roots, man. It doesn't. It's just like floating because it can be what it has to be given the current situation one finds itself. And it's been, um, yeah, it's been uh, it's been quite a ride. Um, and I'm finding now that 
I'm a little older. I, I apply the principles to different things. I apply them to the relationships I have with my grandkids and my friends and so on and so forth. And of course, writing keeps me busy. And that's a very big, big part of my journey, trying to give people a handout uh, on what worked for me and hope with the hopes that people will try some of my stuff and it will work for them too. So that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> nice. And since you will, since you like writing, I'm guessing you, you will make a book to um, write your story. Sorry? Since you wrote some, since you wrote before, I'm guessing you'll write a book to make your story. Yeah. Yes. Nice. So let's get into this. So you have a book on the way. Yeah, very, very exciting times. I I started writing about this whole concept of be different. Uh, very, very, I also, 2009 is when I wrote my first book. It was called Be Different or Be Dead. You can see it on the back there. It's on the, it's on the right in a different color. It's called Be Different or Be Dead, Your Business Survival Guide. And it was all about... Um, the principles of differentiation at a time when uh, we were really suffering financially. The world was in tough financial circumstances, hence the title, Your Business Survival Guide. And what I, what I try to do is, is explain how important it is that businesses and individuals be able to differentiate themselves from people around them. Otherwise, they, they get lost in the herd. They don't get noticed. They're not viewed as special and they're ignored. And, and the worst thing to do is to be ignored in whatever aspect or, or irrelevant, just, you know, in whatever, whatever you're doing. So I started writing Be Different or Be Dead. And it was all about how can you differentiate? And we can talk about some of that stuff if you like. Um, and it was interesting because, um, and it's still the case today. People today find that whole concept of be different or be dead new. Now, what that means is one or two things. One, either I didn't get the message across in the last 13 years, or two, people don't want to hear it. And I think probably it's a combination of both. I mean, it's hard to change um, people, and it's, uh, it's, 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 it's hard to keep people's attention. However, that's my thing. That's my journey. So I started out with that one, and then it took slivers of marketing and execution and leadership and careers. And I wrote individual books about each of those subjects within the context of Be Different or Be Dead, which led me to the latest one, which, uh, which is already out in ebook format and will come out in print on May the 31st. And, and it's Be Different or Be Dead, The Audacious and Unheard of Ways I Took a Startup to a Billion in Sales. And it's all about an updated version of the original look at the world of differentiation. Only this time, it's I've got a lot more experience, uh, a lot more experience with my own material. And I've learned more about my own material. And so it's, a, it's an updated, hopefully more focused, more poignant version of the original and speaks to um, the critical elements of, of being different, um, hopefully in a, in, a, in, in a contemporary context. But I'm finding um, that some of the concepts uh, are resonate with people as being, wow, I mean, that's new. Well, no, you know, I've been talking about this stuff for 13 years. It's not new. Uh, and I honestly do get the impression that it's really hard for people to, to grab onto things that are kind of out there. You know, it's not just in my thing. You can see it in the world, right? I mean, really kind of edgy things that are pretty cool. Sometimes people kind of go, whoa, hang on. I'm not sure whether they're, they're for me or not. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited about it. Um, the ebook's out. I'm actually, um, I've got some material on my blog that talks about the book. And for people that want to email me and give me their email, I'll send them a free download if they want. It's called Pay Audacious Forward. I'm happy to do that. There's only one condition. You got to buy one for a friend. And if you do that, then I will send you one from me complimentary. But it's, it's, it's a way to kind of get people to, to, to move the book and the concepts around within their own circles. And of course, with, when it hits the bookstores, that'll be another, another phase, which is a very, very, very busy phase. And uh, hey, we'll see how it goes. I mean, my objective isn't to sell books. 
my objective is to change the conversation out there from being one that's kind of like traditional and commonplace and talks about benchmarking best in class to talking about what do we have to do differently to be to be special in the world and therefore earning the right to win in that world by being different. And so that's what I'm trying to do. And uh, interesting, it, it applies to so many, it, it applies to so, so many aspects of, of life, not just business, but it, it applies so specifically to careers. In fact, you know, we can talk about that if you want. I mean, I, I call it eating my own dog food. I listen to my own stuff. I apply my own stuff to me. Otherwise, I have no right to ask you to apply it to you, right? So, uh, yeah. I, I do that and it's been it's been an interesting journey and it's we have a long way to go and we'll just keep banging away as long as I wake up in the morning. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree about being different because that's pretty much every time something new comes out, that's like that bring that catches all the attention, all the eyes and ears, and then people suck onto it. But I feel like with that people the new thing becomes standard. And then everybody, and then that it just comes consumed into like the ordinary, and then people forget. Well, I guess like either people perfect what they already know, and then some may forget to be different. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the the point you raise is a good one. In fact, um, you know, the whole world of competitive differentiation looks that way. As soon as an organization has got an edge, somebody copies that edge, so it's not an edge anymore. And now what they have to do is they have to run out and discover something else. And I've had people say to me, oh, my goodness. I mean, that's that's hard work. Well, yeah, <laughs> it's hard work. <laughs> but the consequences of not doing it is that you die. Your organization dies. But, uh, yeah, it's just it's just constant um, acting, observing, learning, acting. Is that is that that, that uh, uh, do loop that just keeps going and going and going and going. And so you're absolutely right. Now I've had a lot of people say, well, yeah, okay. Once you got that statement, that competitive statement, you know, what's to say somebody won't copy what you're doing. And I say, well, yeah, you, they will. I mean, you, you know, you have to count on it and it's no different than in your own career. You can do something that's really cool and people notice and you get rewarded for that. Well, guess what happens to the hundred people watching you? They go, well, Roy did that. I think I'm going to do that. So now Roy's got to do something different. You always got to stay up on that. Otherwise, you fall behind. And if you fall behind, you're in the herd. And by the way, the view never changes. You always see the back of somebody in front of you. Not a great place to be, in my in my humble opinion. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So now we can get into like careers and how that has been shaped over you over the years. You in different positions. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, career, um, I do a lot of work with with young people, uh, young professionals and kind of coaching them. And 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 I would say most people are having a tough time of it or having a tough time finding their way in the working world. And and there's a number of things that that I've learned are really, really important to to actually get moving in a positive direction and keep that momentum going one of them is um don't don't make your academic pedigree who you are there's so many people that say wow i i, I would say well so uh what 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 why should i hire you and the first thing that comes out of the mouth is oh, i've got an mba and actually i don't care because successful people are basically smart anyways. That's not what differentiates them in the real world to be successful. I mean, I can, I can, smart people can learn knowledge that they need to know to do their jobs, but there's other things that really make a difference in terms of whether they advance. And I learned that very, very early in my career. For example, I would say, do you have a career plan? I call it a career game plan. And there's a specific process that I actually developed in order to do this. Um, and it's very, very deliberate. It talks about where do you want to be specifically in 24 months? Who are the foxes, I call them? Who are the people that, are, that actually um, are going to be influential in making that decision? And the third piece is how are you going to win? How are you going to win with, 
you know, in the herd of 100 other candidates all looking for the same job. Okay, you see, it's not good enough to say uh, my strengths are uh, I deal with people really well or I, I have great conflict management skills or um, I'm a good communicator. The reality is everybody can say that. Everybody can say that. And it becomes what I call career language claptrap. That's all it is. It's meaningless mumbo jumbo. And so I created this this. Uh, this concept called the only statement, which applies to businesses for competitive advantage. And it also applies to individuals who are looking for a way to communicate with their special at. And the only statement goes like this. I'm the only one that, and you fill in the blanks. Okay. It sounds easy. It's really hard to do because you really have to understand where your place is in the world, particularly relative to people around you. So when somebody says, Seek, why should I give you the job and not the 150 other people that have applied? That's the moment of truth. The only statement, in my view, is the best answer to that, right? I'm the only one here with a proven experience in marketing and sales overseas, blah, 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 blah. And out it comes. Um, and and it's it can be measured. You can prove it one way or the other, Right. And it's kind of like an elevator pitch on what you are about, what your brand is about, right? Um, very few people actually do this. And I, I'm just blown away because it's such an easy thing to do and to incorporate that into a career plan to actually start. So if you don't have that anchor, it's pretty hard to evaluate whether you're making any progress at all. And it's for sure difficult to understand whether you win anything. Because your career plan or your approach to the world becomes the same as everybody else's. Whole hum, right? So I say to people, all right, I'll help you with this. It's, it's relatively straightforward to put together, but you need a career plan, okay? You need a place to start. And that personal only statement is your brand. And that's a huge piece of the work because it's not about who you think you are. It's, it's how, how do you need to be thought about in order to get you where you need to go. What is the outcome that you are expecting from your brand to actually get you to a successful position? A brand is strategic, it's not descriptive. Roy's a nice guy, who cares? Roy's, Nor Roy's legacy uh, ancestors are Norwegian, who cares? I wanna know what this guy is all about and how he can help me. That's the key. And the brand piece is huge. And it's not being very well done, my friend, it isn't. I read a lot of the, the stuff that is being promulgated by uh, schools. It doesn't work in the real world. It may be academically pristine and have, have all of those theoretical concepts down, but it doesn't work. They don't work. You know, it's like, it's like how many businesses espouse to be the best at something, right, in print. And that's, that's their kind of like brand. We are the best customer service provider in, in Brooklyn. Uh, we, have the, we have the best people. We're, we're, we have, we're the leader in this technology and all this sort of stuff. It, the reason it doesn't work is it's not believable. People don't believe that because they have no sense as to how to measure it, even just kind of like intellectually. And so my only statement is intended to cut through that, cut through that clutter, make it clear, not to say that it won't, it, it, it shouldn't be changed. I mean, once you have it, you have to live with it and you revise, modify it as you go based on, on the experience that you get. So that's one example of, I think, a big gap um, in young professionals or young people. And I don't know how young young is, but they're sure as heck not me. But people who are struggling with careers, they don't have a plan. And it's not the plan you read about in textbook. It's my plan because I've done it, it works, right? So people can trust that. Um, but there's other aspects of, uh, of successful careers that, that I've discovered that are kind of interesting. I mean, one is all about what happens when people get screwed over. And we all get screwed over. Everybody gets screwed over in their, in their career, right? Everybody has setbacks. The key thing is very few people treat a setback as an opportunity to show their stuff and actually get it to work 
in their advantage, to their advantage. And I call it recovery. What do you do when things go wrong? What's your backup plan? How are you going to recover fast and surprise people around you? That applies to careers. Like I've had several uh, missteps in my career because I've, I've lived long enough to have a few. <laughs> if I was 20 years younger, I would have had less, but that's the way it goes, right? So, I mean, you, you know, you get passed over for a job which happened to me as president of a company. I didn't, I didn't get selected. What was important is what I did when that decision to select somebody else was announced to our board and all of our executive team. And what I did is I got up, I walked around the board table. I gave the, the guy who won, who happened to be a good friend of mine, I gave him a warm congratulatory hug. That's what people notice. That did a lot for my brand. Even though I lost the job, I benefited from that little recovery piece so significantly in my career. It was just like people went, wow, I didn't expect that. Roy surprised us. So the surprise element in recovery, when I talk to young folks, they just don't get it because it's never been talked to them about it. It's just like when they run into a brick wall, they kind of fall back and go, now what do I do? you got to kind of know what to do. You have to plan that. So the recovery is a huge piece in, in, um, in careers. The only other, the other thing I would like to, to say to you is, is, is about resumes. I am so disappointed about resumes these days. You know why? They're all the same. They're all boilerplated off Google. They all use the same context. And, and my eyes glaze over when I read these things because you could take the names off, right? And the resumes look the same. They got the same headings. They, they, they basically look the same in every respect. People don't realize that the resume is, is the first impression. However, it's submitted, whether, especially these days, because it's all electronic anyways, um, which I think gives tremendous opportunities that, that aren't really taken advantage of. But um, resumes, uh, unfortunately, are viewed by people of a, as a, ah, oh, I have to do one, as opposed to a strategic career opportunity if you do it right. Like, for example, everyone, every resume needs to be customized, right? For the individual employer that they're going after. You can't take, you can't take a shrink wrap boiler or a shrink wrap resume that's made and, and just apply it to a whole bunch of different employers because each employer has different needs and different wants. It's kind of like a marketing thing. So why don't we have, if you're applying for 10 jobs, you need 10 different resumes. And to which I get, wow, that's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> it is, <laughs> But, but how, you know, how do you judge the, uh, the result? You judge it on the basis of whether you got the job or how much energy you expended. I think it's in the job. But that simple little thing is like, no. Typically, the way people are taught is you create the image of yourself that you want portrayed. That's your resume. And you take it everywhere. You shop it around. Crap. Absolute crap. It's got to be customized because that's the document that will show the prospective employer whether you understand them or not. Which brings me to the second point. If you haven't, if you haven't sprinkled into your resume information on the company's strategy that you're interested in getting hired from, then you're missing a huge opportunity. Because a lot of people want to know, okay, I get, I get what you think your skills are, but how do they apply to me? And that application is all done through, do you understand my strategy? And I don't know about you, but I have not seen too many resumes that are robust in terms of an understanding of what that company's strategy is all about. And generally, the information is public anyways. Public companies, or if not, show some initiative, go find the information, bake it into the resume, and, um, and go from there. And of course, the other piece is, refers to what our only, our only discussion. You have to express how you're, you're, you're unique relative to everybody else. You can't just say you got interpersonal skills. You can't just say that, you know, you're, you're good at handling people. Claptrap. So the next time you see that, Zeke, I want you to write down over it, claptrap. It's Roy's claptrap. We're not to use that ever because it's just, 
mediocrity living. So there's a whole lot that can be done on resumes. There's a whole lot that can be done in terms of creating the brand that works for you. And there's a whole lot that people can do around this whole notion of what happens when I get hit with a setback, right? It's called recovery, career recovery, and then the career game plan. So those four elements I talk an awful lot about, um, and they're practical. Um, they work because they worked for me, and I've fortunately had other people, and uh, they've worked for them. And I'd be happy if people would just grab one of those ideas, you know, and and go go try it. Because at the end of the day, that's all we can do, right? Is just try stuff. Sorry, that's a long-winded <laughs> dissertation on on careers, but it's a complicated subject, you know, yeah. and um, it's a difficult one. It's a really difficult one. I can relate to some of the things um, for like the setback. I remember in sixth grade in the after school program, he was playing a game. I lost, but my friend won, and I congratulated him with an instinct. And then the leader, she was like, she was surprised, and she gave like a joy star as a reward for congratulating my friend for winning because she was like, yep. somebody congratulated somebody else for winning the game. I mean, it's pretty, it's, you know what it is, I think. I mean, it's pretty human stuff, right? Yeah. Like maybe that's why people think it's, People tend to look for the complicated, I find, uh, and, and that's a problem. I mean, most, most successes are built on the backs of common sense and human nature, right? Especially in the business world, like customer service is nothing more than emotion and feelings going on. How people feel about the moment when a retail clerk deals with their purchase, because we've all been through good ones and we've all been through bad ones, <laughs> you know, but when you, when you dissect it, it's about how you feel, how you feel about things. And somehow we need to get the world behaving in a way that's feelings oriented, as opposed to a hundred percent intellectually oriented, which is a big problem because unfortunately the intellect doesn't drive action. The gut and feelings is what drives action. So why don't we fuss more about feelings? Well, I can tell you why. Because there's no formula for those things. They're not in textbooks. And people, from that point of view, can't teach them. Because there's no theory, although psychologists will disagree. But in the real world business, it's so much more complicated than that. People never behave the way they should. <laughs> They don't. And of course, leadership's job is to figure that out and to use that imperfection and it level of inconsistencies to drive out superlative performance of the organization. That's our job. And um, yeah, I've, I've learned that I've had to create most of my own roadmap because the existing roadmaps just didn't do it for me. Definitely. Remember in my management class, Professor asked are we logical thinkers or emotional thinkers? And then he went to like the whole thing about having how like the brain can't process all the information at once. And we're really more emotional thinkers who believe that we're logical thinkers. Yep. I mean, there are there are I, I'm not suggesting you can't you can't do without the left side of your of, of your brain. Okay. But the, I think the, the what I what I've my experience is is the su successful people have figured out how to balance it, right? It's like you need a, a you need an academic peg pedigree to get a job. You do for for the most part, but you can't rely on it to win it for you. It gets you in, but you have to do other things. It's almost like the pedigree just it's it's worthwhile but it's not enough. The logic is absolutely necessary, but it's not enough. And it's the, but it's not enough side that I feel needs to get more attention. And that's kind of like what I do. That's just the place, the space that I play in because I believe in contrarianism. I believe in going against the flow because my, in my experience, they are so excellent sources of innovation and creativity. Where guess what? The logic side is all about let's find a best practice and copy it. How, how can that be innovative? How can copying be innovative? How can being a fast follower be innovative? All that says is you copy quicker. 
<laughs> that's all. And yet, that's where the attention is. That's where the attention is. That's where the resources are. I mean, there's a reason I don't get invited to talk to MBA classes anymore. You've <laughs> ever figured that out? <laughs> I remember, I remember uh, one MBA class I was invited in to talk about planning and, and the, uh, the prof that invited me. And I'm pretty sure thought that I would be kind of like promulgating the basic, you know, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, kind of all that traditional planning, all stuff. And I said to the MBA class, I said, okay, the first thing you need to do is forget about what you've learned. Okay, life is not about case studies. What you've learned is a process. You haven't, I mean, the knowledge, yeah, I could care less because there's a lot of people that I can go to to get the knowledge. The process of solving problems is what you got to focus on because that's a true benefit, okay, I think of, of, of a postgraduate or post-secondary education is that just that you are you are immersed in solving problems and that's what business is all about it's not about the right answer right it's about what works in your particular set of circumstances and that that solution might be viewed by a lot of people as imperfect flawed nonsensical and guess what it doesn't matter if it works it's a right solution and that's a tough one for people to get their heads around too. It's like always looking for the, the perfect solution, which doesn't exist. Um, and, um, and as a result, you don't move, you don't do anything when you're in that mode of pondering and looking for perfection. It's it just, it's crazy. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of characteristics around uh, today's way of doing things that actually cause a lot of problems. And they're generally, um, they're generally because there's a gap between theory, textbook, and reality and practical, which, which is so imperfect and messy. People just don't like to play in there, right? I'm one of those guys where, yeah, I, I jump in there and I want to understand how people are feeling because if they feel right, then they do things and we're successful. If they're feeling wrong, they don't do them and we're not successful. Pretty simple. Definitely. I remember a TikTok of creator was like how he went to get his master's and he paid all his money and then he went back to his boss like, can I get a raise? And the boss was like, how does that make you better at your job? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Show me the results. You know, that, yeah, that's, it's a really good story because, I mean, it happens like so often. I think the question is, why is that in, why was that individual's expectations that by achieving the, the degree or that uh, that milestone he or she they were deserving of a raise how do they reach that conclusion i'll tell you why because that's the way we talk and that's the way we make people feel when we pitch them that they need to get another degree you need your mba because when you get your mba you're entitled to six figures okay that's it so that individual had that in his left side in his mind and unfortunately ran into somebody that asked the right question i call it so what and who cares show me show me show me right which is i mean i'd gladly pay you if you can earn for the company 10 times what it's costing me to keep you here then i'm your best friend i am your best friend but don't lay the expectation thing on me because that's unfair yeah, that means actually I take it one step further. How many how many marks below 70% did you get? And for every one, I'm going to take $10,000 off your salary. How'd you like me so far? <laughs> Pretty quick they'd stop talking about their marks, don't you think? <laughs> oh yeah. Got to have fun doing this. It's late in the afternoon. What time is it there? Oh god, seven o'clock. Yeah. You've had a long day, my friend. Mm -hmm. Working in this. Where do you work? Uh, go down. Yeah? You like it? Mm -hmm. Nice entry level. Good to get start. Hey, I, my first job was a systems analyst in, in the data process. They call it data processing department, right? And I, I did um, time and motion studies. 
and work processing studies, right? To try and figure out different systems. And it was a great job because it got me um, to, to learn basically every part of the business. And this was a telecommunications company. So it was pretty complicated. It was a great job. Great job. But that's when I started looking at this world thinking, hmm, I got, I got a different lens here that I got to look at things through. Um, what does that mean? Um, and I had fortunately had some, some pretty cool bosses that, that understood it and encouraged me and mentored me and helped me along the way. And that's the other thing, right? Like everybody needs a mentor. Um, everybody needs a mentor. Um, and, and they don't have to be somebody that you can go physically see. Like one of the best mentors I ever had was a guy by the name of Seth Godden. I don't know if you, you know Seth. I mean, he's a writer. He's a marketing genius. He's written um, uh, many, many, many marketing books, if you Google them. Um, and he's a very practical dude. Uh, I don't know him personally. I know him professionally. And, and he has influenced me um, significantly in terms of, of how I approach the marketing function. Um, so there's an example of, you know, you, you can find mentors everywhere. And the thing that I like about him is he's done stuff. It's not about it's not about the number of letters after his name. It's like he's a master. He's an MBA, but it's a master in business achievement. That's what he is, and he's got books and and uh, and knowledge to 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 prove it. And so, I encourage young people find a mentor, find a, a somebody who's done stuff. Don't don't be attracted to the number of degrees they have. Please go find somebody that's been in the trenches. That's messy. That's a Yoda in disguise. Just find somebody like that and listen to them. And they'll, they'll, they'll be, they'll, they'll treat you wonderfully and they'll teach you like nobody else can teach you um, stuff that actually works. Do you have a mentor? Uh, I believe so. I have to like, right now just reevaluate everything. Cause like when I was in college, I had like a bunch of people I went to and like, yeah. to see and like um, model myself over it. But right now, I had to like reevaluate everything and like rebuild everything. Well, that that's that's good in a way as well, because you know you can you can take what what worked for you and incorporate it into your new journey and just, I mean that that's all it is, anyways, right? Like I never thought I would write anything. I I never had any aspirations to be an author. Never even occurred to me. The only thing that was even related to that is when I worked when I had a real job. Um, I did a lot of communicating of, of to our employee groups because our my organization had ten thousand people in it, right? So spent a lot of time explaining strategy and getting their views and, and you know all that kind of stuff. So I did a lot of communicating, but I'd never ever considered that that might be applicable after I left. Um, but it did, and I thought, well, why not give it a whirl? And so that worked out nicely, and. Um, Take what you like. I took communications and just applied it to writing. You take what worked for you and what you liked and you apply it to your new journey and, and it'll keep going like that. Yeah. Pay yourself forward. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And then the thing on the resumes, I remember somebody, when I went to do graphic design, they was like, to change my resume to be more creative, to represent graphic design instead of being like a standard business resume. So. Yeah, I mean, I think you got to look at every every way to create um, some some sort of sort of cutting edge uh, about it. Um, and it and, and in today's you know electronic world, it's a lot easier because you can you can embed stuff and videos and stuff and like in the in the day you could never do that. You know, you're dealing with you're dealing with this, and that's all you got. Uh, but even there, you could you could do some pretty neat things in. But today, there's a lot of there's more potential. I just find that um, there are some people that do it, but there's not enough uh, to, in order to to get to get more people in the bell curve moving towards the the right side of more successful, more content with work, et cetera, et cetera. We've got to get more of that innovation and creativity going. And I don't know how it's going to work if, if we keep going on a trend where 
we have more and more people working from home and not being in an office. I mean, it's it's a it's an interesting environment. I think it's just going to require us to to look at again doing things differently, right? Not trying to to carry the baggage from a, an office environment into a, a a remote environment. Some of it may be applicable, but a lot of it won't, and we're just going to have to figure that out. And we will. Yeah, we will. Definitely. So how are the how is the podcast going? Getting uh, lots of, lots of listeners? Uh, last year, I did better than my first year, which is great. About like 150% in terms of downloads. And then... Well, that's um, good. Yeah. What do they like? What do, what do people like about it? Uh, people say like the comfortability of it. Like it's just like a comfortable environment. And then the variety of it. That's that's really good. Um, I, I think for you, it's. Uh, I mean, it is a comfortable environment. It's getting the right people in front of with the right subjects, right in front of yeah. in front of your listeners, and that's always a challenge. Um, I'm telling you, I'm really impressed with Podmatch, though. Yeah. I mean, you've probably been fussing with this for a long time. I haven't. I've been fussing with it for about, I want to say, three weeks. Because I asked my publisher, uh, by the way, Morgan James is our, my publisher in New York. Um, and I asked them, I said, I want to I do some podcasts. It's a really cool environment. I like it. I have fun doing it. And it's a great way to talk about my book. So they put me on the pod match. Wow, <laughs> what a ride. I mean, I'm so busy now. My wife's getting upset with me, though, Zeke. I've got to tell you, i got to stop doing this. <laughs> it's great, though. Yeah, Isn't it? I mean, do you, do you get, do you, how many, like, how many guests do you get uh, applying per week? Like, do you get 10 or 12 or how, how active is it for you? Uh, it's pretty, like, it's pretty calm. Most like this, when you, when you apply, it was, it was like the most active. It was like four or five, like, um, with my guests, the people who ask is really sporadic. Like sometimes it's like calm for a couple of weeks and then sometimes it's like four or five, maybe more. Awesome. That's, that's, I mean, for me, it would be almost impossible to get, to get connected with people like you any other way. I mean, how yeah. could I do that? And so it's, you know, the downstream piece is really interesting because you develop relationships and, and who knows at some point we'll connect again and we'll do something else and blah, blah, blah. And we've got all of this to, to kind of look back and rely on. And, and of course I'm going to be interested in it in your journey just by virtue of what you told me so that's that's good that's a nice connection yeah. so from that point of view that's an added benefit i think um forget about the business side of it i mean whatever it's going to be whatever it's going to be but i think it's a great service definitely the email me and i was like this makes sense yeah it's a marketplace for people who want to talk and people want to listen yeah <laughs> simple <laughs> Wish I'd have thought of it. <laughs> Good ideas makes you want to, makes you want to believe. Once you want to time travel, so you believe like, I made it first. Yeah, well, that's therein lies uh, the challenge. Therein lies the challenge. But you know what? Uh, I'll I'll say to you that you don't have to be first at anything, but you have to be different. Yeah. I mean, one of the one of the I, mean, I deal a lot with startups, and and some of these some of these startup presidents. Oh, they scare me because they come up with this super sexy technology and they want to focus just on flogging the technology. Okay. So they don't think about benefits and value or the product that that technology um, delivers. They just want to flog the sexy technology and they don't think about whether the product or the value they're creating is unique at all. And that's where most of them go wrong. I force them into that only statement I talked to you about before. If, if you're not different in some way, don't waste your money. And unfortunately, a lot of them don't do that. And of course, as we know, what's the stat? Like 50% of startups fail within the first 36 months or something. I mean, and I'll tell you one of the big reasons, not every, not the whole reason, but one of the big ones is they're not unique. So, so you don't have, you can be a first failure, quite frankly, and you can be a 15th different winner. 
So the challenge is to figure out how your idea can be different. And then you will sl- you will absolutely slay the first one out if they're not different. Trust me, it works. Definitely. The famous um, example of MySpace and Facebook, how Facebook pretty much took over MySpace. Absolutely. Well, and the and and the other one that that I that has, hits me personally was the whole battle that started between BlackBerry and, and iPhone, where BlackBerry had a very specific application set. They didn't even consider um, that an iPhone would have any applicability. You know why? Because they didn't think that the carriers would be able to afford the bandwidth that was required for an iPhone versus a scientific application device like a BlackBerry. Did they ask anybody? No. Just somebody in the back, their engineer said, the carriers are not going to pay for that to support a handheld environment like an iPhone that required all that bandwidth. They're not going to play. Boy, did they get that. So they were first. And guess what happened? They're no longer with us for an obvious reason. No, iPhone, Jobs got it right. I mean, very few guys around like him. He was, but he got that one right. And it was a simple thing. Northern Telecom, this is before your time, a big telecom supplier. They were number one in the world and they let themselves get complacent. And they were big, 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 irrelevant, big, irrelevant, irrelevant, boom. And they just died because the young ones came in, younger companies, they just, they were niche suppliers with specific value propositions that catered to specific uh, market segments and they were unique and they killed Northern. So, I mean, there's, and you can see large corporations around the world these days are in trouble. And that's why they're, became, they, they're becoming irrelevant to the people that they serve. Worst thing to do, right, is be irrelevant. Yeah, it's, it's better to be hated or loved and not be in, in the side, like in the middle. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. So with being like a president, would you, how was that like experience and everything? Well, it was, it was, uh, uh, it was, um, how shall I say it? It was, it was a bunch of things at the same time. It, for me, it was, it was amazing um, to, to have, have the trust of people to, to, to launch a, a market that at that time was really new. This was the internet space. I mean, this is the world where, where we thought one and a half megabits was really super fast. And just after public dialogue, right? You remember those days. You're not that young. I don't know. But, but you know, to be able to mobilize resources to take advantage of that was extremely exciting. Something like I, I never had before. It was hugely stressful. Uh, but in a positive way, because there were so many things to do. And um, it, it required me to um, basically uh, use my own stuff. And I learned so much about the whole be different space by having to do that. Because when we started, um, we were part of a, mon- a monopoly telephone company, right? And now we're going to data and internet space and carving that piece out, right? So we were going from a voice world to a data world, right? Well, that transition required different skill sets, different culture, different people. I mean, literally had to had to morph the the company away from traditional services into uh, into the into a new world. And I found that extremely exciting, but extremely challenging. Um, because you know you had people you know installing telephones and now you're asking them to to run servers and some of them could and they loved to change others they didn't want to change and so we had to exit them so the company went through a huge change had to start building a new culture um and that was good in a way because it allowed us to to sort of flex our muscles around this be different thing because there weren't any traditions in the data world this was a new world we were building right so as a leader, I mean, it was very empowering, very empowering to be able to do that. The people who were coming with you wanted to be there. That was the thing, right? And so mobilizing them 
was was hard work, but it was super rewarding uh, to, to actually see it grow, grow. And 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 no kidding. I mean, yes, the market was growing quick, but we actually we actually built this business to a billion in sales within. I can't tell you it was within a very short period of time. I don't. I can't even tell you how long. And that was amazing. I mean, that kind of growth did start out um, with that as an objective. We started out saying, wow, this market's huge. We need to take advantage of it. We need to build a loyal customer base that trusts us. We need to give them what they want and we want them to grow with us. And so, so that's how we started out. New customer acquisition was never a big strategy of mine because my belief is you can build a business with the existing customers you have. And if you do that, others will come. You don't have to give them special, you know, give them a free TV to join you. Dumbest strategy in the world. Because what does that say to the existing customers that's been with you for 10 years? You don't get anything for free, right? So it's kind of like a slap in the face. So we went there, we had to build it, build it, build it. And we, we, we had annual uh, revenues that were growing order of magnitude. I mean, triple digits for a while. It was just like, we goes, what the hell? Where is this going to stop? Well, it's never stopped. I mean, that business today is over $15 billion since I left it. Wow. You know, so, so being a part of that, um, being a leader of a group of professionals like that, I mean, what can I say? It was it was the most remarkable, satisfying, delightful thing I've ever done. And I'm so grateful to having having had the opportunity and to have had the, the group of people that were part of, of the advanced communications team that basically took us there. Um, and I'm thankful that it's continued because now I'm retired, you see, and... <laughs> <laughs> and I need that company to keep going. Um, but yeah, but the other the other part of it as a leader is like, I was kind of like now identified with a new growing business. And so I had to be very, very careful because my executive colleagues weren't in that space. So I had to be very respectful of what they were doing because I needed their help. I needed to build a data network. I needed to convince the guy that was responsible for technology to spend more on the data network than on the voice network. So I can't do that if, I, if he's my enemy, right? So there's a lot of issues around there that I had to deal with. But at the end of the day, we managed to get it done as a, as a dysfunctional team because every team is dysfunctional, Zeke, right? No such thing as a perfect team. Uh, we managed to get it done and I think laid the foundation uh, as my as as the existing CEO said in this, he wrote the forward for my new book. He basically said that we were successful in setting the groundwork for that that the business that is has carried on and has delivered incredible shareholder value. So for for him, Darren Entwistle and Telus, I'm extremely grateful. Nice, nice. So he was there, like. Pretty much is a total tone shift for everything. It was just that early yep. early two thousands, late nineties shift of everything. Yeah, it yeah, was. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it was an interesting time because I remember uh, talking about the strategy for data, and there was when we first started thinking about this, there was a thought that said that we should only be in the carrier business. Right, so that the actual internet service providers, ISPs, should be our customers. And we shouldn't be in the business of supplying data solutions to end users, like, re, like, like businesses or consumers, that we should only deal with the, with the kind of wholesalers. That, that line of thought existed for about six or seven months until people realized that it was growing so fast that, and that people expected us as the telco to be in that space. They wanted to do business with us. They didn't want to do business with a reseller. And so when you have your customers clamoring for you to be the supplier, I say, be the supplier and set the prices, right? And so once we had made that shift, but you know what? Just like getting into the TV business, there was a time when people didn't think that our company should be in the IP TV business. 
Because what did that have to do with being a communication supplier? Well, it had a lot. It's just that the definition of the business had changed. And so you, you end up going through these kind of like tipping points where, you know, you're going to, you're faced with a decision to move in a different direction. And of course, I was always on the side of let's do it. Let's figure it out. Let's get it going. Don't tell me about yesterday's philosophy. Don't care. Let's get going. And of course, there's a lot of people who did care about yesterday's philosophy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we had a lot of fun. But the um, good triumphed over evil. And in fact, we went in the new directions, which was good. Yeah, you always got to keep growing, right? You know, even in one's personal life, I mean, if, if you're not growing, what are you doing? Got to be pretty boring, not exploring. Do you realize I now Snapchat with my grandkids? I know, right? Sounds silly, but I have to. I have to because I don't want to be irrelevant to them. And they communicate that way. So guess what? And this, by the way, this, this is flashing news. This, this is like two weeks old. And I got to tell you, I'm still struggling. But I'm learning it. And when my grandkids get snaps, Snapchats from Papa, they are super impressed. That's all I need. If they're impressed, I'm good. In fact, my grandson says to me the other day, he says, Papa, you know, for an old person, <laughs> you're actually pretty good at technology. I thought, I've arrived. That is the coolest thing that anybody will ever say to me. But I'm still, I'm not good at Snapchat, but it'll come. I just figured out how to save a Snapchat. And God knows what I'll learn tomorrow. Yeah. Something. And that's what we all have to do, right? Mm -hmm. Learn something tomorrow. Something new. Oh, it's changing. Well, that's the point. You're either with it or you get left behind. Uh, I used to like people that drove change, like uh, I create dis uh, discontinuities. Uh, in the business and, and and it's important to have people like that around to say you know we need to do this why not it's like you need to intervene on yourself because you get complacent you get complacent with where you are where you've been you need somebody to kind of go bang slap you and say no what about this let's let's do this let's let's have a, an intervention on ourselves and cause us to go in a different direction. You need that. It's healthy. In fact, if you look at, at most businesses that fail, that's one of the reasons. A, it's a, they become irrelevant because they haven't intervened and asked the question, how can we reinvent ourselves to be different, to be something different than we are and more meaningful to people? They may be different people, but we need to be more meaningful. How can we do that? What's required? Why don't we do that? Simple little question like, well, then why don't we do that? If it's the right thing to do, why don't we? And the, the disconcerting part is when there's a silent room after that, you know you're in trouble because you got more people that are really comfortable sitting in the warm comfort of the herd than stepping out, coloring outside the lines and doing stuff differently because it takes risk. But there's joy at the end of that tunnel, I guarantee you. Mm -hmm. I want to see more people doing this stuff. I want to see people looking at your podcast and say, you know what? I can do that. Like I challenge everybody out there. Okay. Tomorrow, do one thing differently. Just one. Just one. But make it weird. Okay. Now, I don't want you to get arrested. Or just do something weird. Okay. It's got to be legal weird. But do something weird. Something that that puts you outside your comfort zone. Just do one thing. And if you feel uncomfortable, that's good. Because the next day, do something else. And just keep doing things differently until it becomes normal. And it will after a while. And when you look around, right, you're going to see people who are traditional and you'll go, that's boring. And so it's a simple place to start. So that's the challenge. Say. Every one of your listeners, everybody's watching, do something different tomorrow. And get rid of something that's common, something that you do that everybody else does. I want you to drop that and adopt something that's different. 
see how that feels for you. And then Zeke's going to let me know how well you do because he's going to text me or Snapchat me. I don't know how he's going to do it. <laughs> well, he'll do it some way. <laughs> uh, and I think that's a good time to end. Thank you again for joining the podcast. Zeke, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm, I'm grateful to have an opportunity to talk about stuff like this because I think it's so important that, that your listeners um, – receive a, a different view i hope and also my my hope is that that you out there will do something different tomorrow and keep doing it so many thanks for having me and hopefully we'll have a chance to talk again and lastly what would you name your origin story what was my what what would you name your origin story like if you could give a story a name what would you name it Oh, if I, um, I would call it, um, um, my, my story is, is all about juxtapositions from the old to the bold and audacious. You can call me audacious. I'll be okay with that. <laughs> all right. Thank you again. Okay. I hope that worked for you. It was fun. Thank you. No problem. Anytime. That brings another episode of the Let's Get Podcast to a close. Again, you can find Roy Olsing book Be Different or Be Dead by clicking the link in the description below. But next week, I have John to speak about his story in business. Hope you continue that day and hope to see you there.